0: Hey, everyone, welcome back to another amazing episode of For the Love of Money. I'm really excited about today's episode because we're talking taxes. Now, yes, I know that probably sounded totally wild and counterintuitive to you. I said excited and taxes in the same sentence. You're like, taxes, that's boring. Taxes, that's scary. Taxes, that sucks. But here's the thing. This is like one of the areas where most people have the biggest limiting beliefs around their money mindset is when it comes to taxes. They have fear around it. They have uncertainty around it and they stuff that monster back in the closet and they don't even deal with it. And then it comes back to bite them. And trust me, if you want to take control of your healthy, positive money mindset, then you need to feel comfort around taxes because they are a fact of life. So I went out and I got expert Diane Gardner. Now, why is she an expert? She's a best-selling author and a Quilly award recipient on top of being a certified tax coach. I mean, she is just Awesome, And she's also awesome enough to do podcasts and give away her tips and tricks and expertise totally for free. So we don't get into the boring, monotonous stuff about taxes. We talk about some of the myths, some of the losses with the new tax planning laws that happened in 2018, and some of the new big wins that you need to be aware of that happened with the new tax planning laws in 2018. This is the biggest change in tax policy in 31 years so you're definitely going to want to listen to up if you're an entrepreneur because you don't want to get stung and you don't want to miss out on these tax deductible things that you can be doing now before we get into the conversation here's the cool thing about diane she's not just a certified tax coach she's also a believer in entrepreneurship and she runs a couple masterminds herself And just like my mastermind, she believes that a mastermind is literally magic. It's the fastest way to grow your business compared to anything you can do out there. Because she even goes on to explain, in a mastermind, there's no other time when equally talented entrepreneurs stop what they're doing in their business and turn their attention to your business, collaborate, lend their expertise, lend their connections, lend their skill sets to lift up your business over the course of a year. And that's exactly what we're doing with mine. Now, here's the good news, you ready for this? I've opened up three more spots in this year's 2018 family of Mastermind. We had a few folks that couldn't continue on because of other obligations that they have going on. And so there are three spots available. If you've applied in the past, I want you to message me on Instagram, Chris W. Harder, or you can email me at chris at fortheloveofmoney.com. Or if you have not yet submitted an application, You can go get it in real quick and then follow up and message me that you're interested in this year's remaining mastermind. And that is uh, at ForTheLoveOfMoney.com forward slash mastermind. Three spots open to this existing family. You've seen it online. You've seen it on Instagram. You've seen all the hype about it. There was not a chance to get in this year until now. So I'm really, really excited for the three people that take action there. ForTheLoveOfMoney.com forward slash mastermind. All right. So we're about to sit down and talk to Diane about all of the tax things that scare us. And is there bad news with this year's tax law? Yeah. Is there good news with this year's tax law? Totally. But you need to know what those changes are. And we talk about like some of the things that people always just make assumptions on. Like if I lease my car, I get a better tax write off. She actually explains, no, that's not always the case and why with the new changes. Same thing about the myth of, oh, I don't need to keep receipts. I've got my monthly statement on my credit card. She talks about if that's true or not. I mean, there is like myth buster after myth buster. And we talk about common pitfalls that all my new entrepreneurs and small business owners need to avoid. So you guys are going to find so much value in this episode. It is nuts. So get ready. Take some notes. Become empowered. Let's stuff this fear of the tax monster back in the closet once and for all. And let's sit down and have an epic conversation with Diane. All right, Diane, welcome to the show.
1: Oh, Chris, thank you so much for having me on your program. I'm really excited about our call today.
0: You know what's funny? I'm excited too. And people don't think of taxes as something that you get excited about. But what's funny, I was just telling you this offline before we started recording, I'm excited to have this conversation because this is like people's biggest fear. And listen, you can't have a good money mindset if you have a fear around a certain topic of money. So I think that you're going to go a long way today towards helping people that money mindset by getting over some of these fears.
1: You bet. We're always the elephant in the room.
0: (laughs) Yeah, totally. Well, we're going to make you the shiny, exciting. Everybody wants to look and talk about an elephant in the room. How's that?
1: All right.
0: All right. I love it. So here's how my show typically works. We start with rapid fire just to get the momentum of the show going. It's kind of a fun way for the listeners to get to know you in a hurry. And if there's something great that comes up, we'll do a deep dive by circling back to it. Sound good?
1: Sounds awesome.
0: All right. So we'll start really easy. Diane, where'd you grow up?
1: I grew up in Kellogg, Idaho, which was a little tiny mining town up in northern Idaho, about 100 miles south of the Canadian border.
0: Oh, very cool. Where do you live now?
1: Uh, Now I live in Rastrom, Idaho, about 40 miles from that little town. I I spent several years down in California, decided I wanted to come back home to the smaller town atmosphere, slower paced life, and be able to have a little bit better connection with my clients than I was able to have when I was down in California.
0: Mm, I love that. I love that. What is one of your favorite quotes?
1: My all-time favorite quote is, life begins at the edge of your comfort zone.
0: Oh, Isn't that the truth? What is one of your superpowers?
1: My superpower is client relationships.
0: Mm, yes.
1: I I really, really enjoy that part of my job.
0: Love it, love it, love it. Okay, what is one of your favorite books? And it might even be one of the ones you wrote.
1: I would say my very favorite book is Three Feet from Gold by Sharon Lecter and Gary Reed because that is the book that caused me to totally tear apart my business and rebuild it and go in a completely different direction.
0: You know, I have not read that. I just made note of that. I'm actually going to get that book.
1: It's it's amazing. Yes.
0: All right. I love it. What is one thing you're challenged by right now?
1: I am challenged by finding sufficient staff. Uh, Because I chose to live in this small little town, I am really struggling to find a good, solid, really knowledgeable senior accountant tax preparer who can be quasi my right arm as I work with all these wonderful clients all across the U S
0: you know what finding your people is the hardest part of scaling any business. I think
1: it is. Yes,
0: it truly is. All right. A couple more, uh, favorite speech or piece of advice you've ever given.
1: Ooh, uh, Pass on that one for
0: right now. <laughs> All right, perfect. <laughs> <Who>, mine
1: quickly. <laughs>
0: no problem. Who is uh, someone who's changed your life? My husband. Oh, I He's love amazing. that. You know what's funny? I uh, Some of the most top-level people in the world that I actually get to interview, like the most quality human beings, that is always their answer. And they usually qualify it with something like, not just because it's my spouse or not to be trite, but I love that answer. Because if yes. that's the person that you spend he, the most time with, then dang it, they better be someone who changed your life.
1: He, he taught me to believe in myself.
0: Oh my God, that is one of the most beautiful things I've yeah. ever heard. Okay, totally love it. couple more. What is one of your all-time favorite accomplishments this far?
1: My accomplishment this far would be completely dismantling my business and rebuilding it during the middle of the recession and outgrowing our um, office building that we had, had previously had been in and buying a uh, office building that's twice the size of our previous one and hiring more people.
0: Wow, way to go. One regret you might have.
1: That I didn't do it earlier.
0: (laughs) Yes, that's always the (laughs) the top one. And last but not least, because the show is all about generosity and money mindset, what is something generous you've done recently?
1: Well, last night we hosted a client appreciation event for about 100 of our closest friends and clients. And we had a phenomenal time with live music, a wonderfully catered meal. We give out client awards for the... Uh, best business tax client, an individual tax client, a bookkeeping client, a payroll client. We gave out a superhero award to my husband for everything he does around this, this business. We gave out some other specialty awards for people who are really deserving of it. And it's just a time for us to really make connection and love on our clients.
0: Oh my gosh, I love it. No wonder you have such a successful practice. Okay, let's get a little bit deeper into the interview now. And I want to start with the obvious, and that is this taxes strike fear in people. And I've been there before too. It used to be the thing that would keep me up at night before I felt like I got my arms around it. And this can in turn really hurt their positive money mindset that they're trying to live in, right? So why do you think this is that taxes strike such fear in people?
1: I think, Chris, it's a fear of the unknown. They don't know what they don't know. They just know that as soon as they start making money, the government takes it all away. Did they sum that up well?
0: That is. I mean, that is the cleanest answer possible. You're right. It is. It's this unknown thing. They feel like there's too many things to know about. And they know that if they make one misstep, at least the fear is that they're going to wake up and, you know, the IRS is going to suck all the money out of their account.
1: Right. Or they're going to be in jail or something along those lines. Because I hear those fears all the time from people.
0: Yeah. And they're real fears. They really are. are.
1: You bet they are.
0: So what, yeah. what can someone do? Like, uh, think about the solopreneur out there, they're there, or maybe the small business owner and they're just starting to get some momentum in their business, what should they be looking at or doing already to help mitigate some of this fear?
1: They should be aligning themselves with somebody who works with the IRS as a liaison all the time, who's comfortable with it, who knows the rules, who knows the do's and the don'ts, who understands the compliance issues and who also is going to be a forward thinker and helping you plan for tomorrow so that you don't give every single penny of that hard-earned extra money that you've earned off to the government.
0: Okay, so let's kind of go that direction. Your goal is for people to pay as little taxes as legally possible, especially entrepreneurs, right?
1: Right, and I stress the word legally. We all have to pay our fair share of taxes, but I always say there's no reason to give the IRS a big tip.
0: All right, so my first question then is this. Are taxes a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs>
1: <laughs> they're they're a good thing in that if we didn't have taxes, we wouldn't have the services that we've all grown used to. They're a bad thing in that they are a obstacle for most entrepreneurs to really get out there and push hard and break through that next barrier because of the fear that they're going to owe so much more of what that next step is off to the IRS.
0: So is that a logical fear? You know, some people literally hold themselves back from earning more because they feel like, well, if I get into the next tax bracket, they're just going to take more anyway. So they, they sit there paralyzed.
1: They do. And I, and I see it um, all the time, totally paralyzed. They don't want to jump up to that next tax bracket where if I can sit down with them and show them a roadmap, a plan, a blueprint, whatever you want to call it, of how to get to that next bracket and not pay a huge amount more in tax. Yeah, you're gonna have to pay some, but because you now have more money available, more uh, spendable type money available, you can now participate in other tax saving strategies that maybe you couldn't when your net profit was quite a bit lower. Okay. And I think of like retirement planning and some of those things that you could just, you flat out couldn't afford when you were first starting your business, and now you can.
0: That makes perfect sense. So let's start with the most basic question, and that is for solopreneurs or small business owners, is there a best business structure to pay the least amount of taxes? Should they be a an LLC? Should they be an S-Corp, a C-Corp?
1: I'm going to give you the famous accounting answer that says that depends because a lot of that is regulated by states. And because I work clear across the U.S., I have to be very sensitive to that. Yeah. In Idaho, where I live, we are very LLC friendly and I have lots and lots of clients who are LLCs because it gives me the flexibility that I can have them taxed as a sole proprietor or an S-corp or a partnership or a C-corp. But then there's states like California who's not LLC friendly and that little gross revenues tax slips in there. We got to be careful. We don't want to trigger that, you know, if we can help it. So it depends on what state they're in. So there is no quick, easy little answer because every state um, looks at it differently, unfortunately.
0: So is that the biggest driver when people are deciding if they should be an uh, LLC, an S-Corp, a C-Corp, whatever, is to really make that decision based on where you are logistically and in, in what state?
1: Most of the time, because some states are very LLC friendly in that the liability protection offered through the LLC is stronger than liability protection offered through an S-corp. Other states are the opposite. They kind of want to force you into s corps, and that's what they'll give you the higher liability protection, as well as tax savings. And so um, you really have to do your homework based on the state that you're located in to determine which entity would be the better entity to utilize.
0: Yeah, is there a layman's way to explain the three different choices there to everybody listening?
1: Sure. Yeah. Most people start out in business as a sole proprietor, which means they've really done nothing other than maybe register with their state. Say, hey, I'm going to go into business. Here's my business name. And sole proprietor, basically, you file a Schedule C on your income tax return. All the profits are subject to self-employment tax, and there is no liability limitations of any sort on a sole proprietor. The next step up the ladder is the LLC, which is a limited liability company it is a hybrid entity type so it can act like any of the other entity types depending on where what direction we want to take it it's a wonderful tax planning strategy for me in the right states Uh, then moving on up the ladder would be your s corp or s corporation that is a corporation that's been granted sub s status which means that the net profit or the net earnings from the company flow through to your personal tax return via a K-1 form, and it is wonderful because it protects your net profit from self-employment tax, so that's a very popular entity, and then lastly, we have what we call a C-Corp or a traditional corporation, and that particular entity type also offers liability protection, and it pays its own tax at the corporate level. So nothing flows through to your individual tax return. So they each have pros and cons, depending on what stage somebody is in business and the type of business that they're in.
0: Yeah, you can tell already why people get overwhelmed, right? To you that probably feels simple and the people listening, they're like, wait a minute, I want all those benefits. How do I choose one?
1: (laughs) Right. And and that's why we always do a pretty intense entity analysis when we're working with somebody because you have to take – all these different things into account, not just liability or just tax savings or just whatever. There's all kinds of other things that go into it. And it's, it's a choice that's not made lightly. Yeah. You want to really put some thought into it.
0: So we have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen that are in the beginning stages of their business. Let's say they are one to three years in and they have revenue of, you know, a hundred to 900,000 and they're, you know, they're all mostly small businesses. So, In those situations, um, they have a lot of questions about what popular, you know, little tax breaks they can get, et cetera, et cetera. And you say right now that we're in a unique time for taxes, like the biggest tax law changes that we've had in 31 years. Is that right?
1: We are. The last time we had a major tax overhaul of this size, was back in 1986. And I was barely graduated from college. So for me, it was wonderful. I didn't have to learn the old law versus the new. I was, I just started out learning the new stuff. And now this time, we have to, have, those of us who are in the industry, you have to keep the old law under, you know, in your head as well as learn the new law. So there's some exciting stuff out there for businesses under this new law.
0: Okay. That's what we're going to get to the bottom of here. So who wins with the new tax cuts?
1: I think business owners win. I think this law is very pro-business, which is exciting to me.
0: Okay. And give us an example of some of the changes that we should be excited about.
1: Okay. Well, one of the biggest changes that I that I think the media really picked up on back in December and January was C-corporations. We have long, for many, 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 many years had a minimum tax rate of 35% going all the way up as high as 50%. Well, they've now brought that rate to 21%. So anybody who's operating as a C-corp, that's a huge score. Because that used to be one of my tax planning strategies is is a C-corp who was making a lot of money. Can we move them maybe into an S-corp and pull that rate away from that 50% mark? So that was a huge score right there.
0: So can I stop you right there real quick? Are people, should they be exploring switching from an LLC or an S-corp to a C-corp?
1: Well, not necessarily, because they also rewarded the rest of us. Those of us who are not C-Corps, by what you'll hear a term being rolled around out there called the Qualified Business Income Deduction, Mm -hmm. or QBI. um, I I know the media has talked about that quite a bit. And the way QBI works, for the most part, this is very general and I'm oversimplifying it, is that you take the net profit from the business, multiply it times 20%. And you get a new deduction on your personal tax return, which will, in in effect, it's supposed to also bring us down to the 21% rate.
0: Ah, that's awesome. So let's just use really generic examples for people. If they made 200 grand in revenue, they had 50,000 in expenses, they would have 150,000 profit. This is a new deduction that allows them to take the 150,000 profit times 20%. You bet. Which in that case would be thirty grand, and that would be like a thirty thousand dollar expense they could write off, so to speak.
1: Right. Yes that they that they've never had before.
0: Okay, that's pretty awesome. Tell us that about some is, more of these changes.
1: Well, and the only caveat on that particular deduction is it doesn't work real well on specified service industries, which are entrepreneurs who are in the business of accounting and law and consulting. And medical, and those areas out there where what we do depends on our skill not so much our team or whatever it's our skill that's leading that you know the the rampage on it and so those types of businesses are very limited as to whether they'll be able to participate in this new QBI deduction so it's a it's a lose for that group it's a win for everybody else
0: now why is so that the- cuz you're you're describing somebody let's pretend they're a coach and they make all their revenue just from coaching one on one or maybe a self-employed personal trainer right
1: you bet. Mm-hmm. So
0: why are they excluded from that benefit?
1: Well, because under the tax law, it says any trader business that's involved with the performance of services in the fields of health, law, engineering, architecture, accounting, actuarial science, performing arts, it goes on and on and on. Athletics, financial services, brokerage services. And it says any trader business where the principal asset of such trader business is based on the reputation or skill or one or more of their employees. Now, Personally, I don't really understand why they singled that group of people out, but they did. And so if their income is low enough, they will still be able to take advantage of it. But if their income is very high at all, they will not be able to take advantage of this new deduction.
0: All right. So those type of people, high enough income, they get phased out. So should they be discouraged or are there benefits for them too?
1: Some of them are quite discouraged. I, I do <laughs> with some medical professionals that are really discouraged over this because they're really ramping up their businesses and this is, you know, they're not going to be able to take advantage of this deduction. So what we've done is we've taken a look at what else do they do in their business? Is there really a second business in there? Is there something that's not related to the medical part of it? And if so, is there any way we could potentially separate that off into a separate business, you know, maybe a separate entity of some sort? So it's causing people to get very creative and to have some pretty detailed conversations that we may not have had in the past.
0: You know, that's probably why people get frustrated right there is that example huh? where instead of something just being clean cut, either there's a deduction or there's not. Um, they have to start exploring all these creative ways of splitting off another business within their business and all these other things just to qualify for the deductions. I think that's probably where a lot of the fear and the frustration comes from.
1: Right, and that's why you would have to do an analysis to see if you could separate something off, is it cost-effective to do it?
0: All right, so uh, what else are some cool tax write-offs, tax benefits with the new law?
1: Well, under the new law... Uh, the overall tax rates were lowered. So we still have seven different categories of rates, but they're each a couple percentage lower than they were before. So that's a big win for everybody. Something else that's a big change is we will have no more uh, exemptions or dependents on our tax returns. And that was a big scary one for most people. It's like, what do you mean I've got four or five kids and I'm not going to have dependents anymore? We've always had dependents. Well, to make up for it, they've doubled the standard deduction and they've doubled the child tax credit for children under the age of 17. It used to be $1,000 and now it's $2,000. And in theory, that combination of doubling standard deduction and doubling the child tax credit is supposed to make up for that. In actuality, it really won't if you are a married couple whose children are, are grown and away from home. And maybe you were itemizing before, but just barely, yep. you know, so it may not make up for it then at that point.
0: All right. So picture our typical business owner that listens, as I described him, solopreneur, a small business owner, you know, revenues, hundred to 900. Um, what are some, some of the urban legends out there about things they should or should not be writing off? Let's, for, let me start you with an easy one here. Um, everyone talks about deducting car leases or writing off their cars when they have their first business. Is that a urban legend or not?
1: It can be, but under the new law, it might be more advantageous to purchase the car because they've expanded the depreciation limits. So it's an analysis that needs to be run to see which one's going to give you the more bang for your buck. And it just it might be purchasing, it might be leasing, but oftentimes it's purchasing now.
0: Ah, interesting that that switched. All right, and why is that? Can you give us a a little further example on that?
1: Well, before they limited depreciation, they considered any vehicle over about $14,000 to be a luxury vehicle. You can tell that number has not been indexed for inflation.
0: Uh, Yeah, (laughs) that doesn't get you much of a car anymore.
1: No, it doesn't. And so they've opened up the depreciation just on on, um, vehicles a bit from where it was before. And so now you look at it like, okay, now it might be more advantageous to purchase versus lease.
0: Okay. So, So, But
1: it's something we need to run the numbers and find out
0: And before somebody
1: actually does it.
0: To write off a portion of your car when you've got your first business or when you have a small business, do you need to be titling that car in your business's name? Or can it be titled in your name? Can the loan be in your name and you still write it off?
1: Depends on your entity type.
0: Ah, back to the original part of the conversation. Yes, yes. So many moving parts. Okay. Tell us about another uh, assumption of something you can or cannot write off that people many times get wrong.
1: I don't know if we have anybody out there that's been paying or receiving alimony. Big changes in the alimony area. Tell us about them. Before, the person who paid the alimony was able to take it as a deduction, and the person receiving the alimony picked it up as income. So for new agreements starting in 2018, anybody who's paying alimony won't be able to take it as a deduction, and the receiver of it won't be picking it up as income. So one half of that group is happy, and the other half isn't.
0: Yeah, that's a huge shift for the two different groups.
1: Yes, yes, huge shift. Another thing that is really exciting for us is we do a lot with our clients of having them hire their children. To work in their businesses. Well, under the new tax law, because standard deduction is doubled, it went from sixty three hundred up to about twelve thousand. We now can push a lot more money downstream to the children than we could before.
0: Ah, interesting. Yeah, because yeah. by diverting some of that income that the parents would pay when you employ your child, the child gets taxed on that income, and the write off the new standard deduction is so much higher that you know you can have a little bit more income in your child's name, so to speak.
1: You bet. Yes. And you a few thousand dollars to a child is huge.
0: Yeah. So clever. Yeah. That is awesome. All right. right. What, and that's, what else should we oh, be doing out here? I love these creative things. You can't give me enough like cool, creative <laughs> things we didn't think of before.
1: Um, under the new tax law, it appears that rental properties are going to qualify for this new qualified business income deduction. And so that is a major win for those who have Rental properties. Maybe they own their own office building and they're renting it back to themselves, or they own other rental properties, whether it's a single-family residence or multi or apartment building or whatever. Is that they're also going to be able to participate in this new qualified business income deduction?
0: Ah, so a lot of people have kind of toyed with the idea of do I buy duplexes or single-family homes and rent them out and start putting some of my money there. Here's one more reason to do that.
1: Here's, yes, There's another reason that you didn't have before.
0: So, what are this some? Common pitfalls, like where do you see people making the biggest bonehead moves ever when it comes to their taxes?
1: They don't plan.
0: Uh, explain a little more.
1: They they are so busy running their business that they are just you know I call them my little hamsters on a wheel. Mm-hmm. They're just going round and round and round and round and round. At the end of the year, they gather all their stuff up. They take it to their accountant or their tax preparer. Here's my stuff. And then they get a phone call or they, you know, they have an in-person visit, whatever it might be. It says, Oh, by the way, you owe X amount of dollars in tax. And they just kind of lose it because Mm -hmm. they weren't expecting that to happen because they didn't realize that their income was up 30% from last year or 20% or 50%. You know, they didn't realize that right now. Businesses are really kind of going gangbusters. At least all the ones that I'm involved with are and, There's been some phenomenal uh, growth percentages these last couple years. And so because they're not planning, they're getting slapped pretty hard when it's time to do that tax return. If they've not been putting some money away for tax or if they haven't adjusted their estimated tax payments. So, and so that is a huge mistake that I see people saying they don't they don't pick their head up enough and, and sit down and do some planning.
0: Let's help people with tax planning, like just the real basics of it, because there's a lot of people that aren't doing it. You're correct. Should they be paying their you know uh, taxes as an entrepreneur in monthly, quarterly, waiting till the end of the year? What's best?
1: Generally, they, they make quarterly payments. Um, if they don't, they do incur a, little, a bit of a penalty on their tax return. But tax planning goes beyond just the quick Hail Mary stuff at the end of the year where let's let's use accelerated depreciation or Section 179 and write off some stuff at the end of the year or make a big contribution. It goes way beyond that stuff. It means sitting down with your trusted advisor throughout the year, developing a three to five year plan and factoring in the the anticipated growth and expenses and stuff for your business and then coming up with strategies that fit you in your business, not strategies that just fit business overall, but looking for strategies that really fit you and that strategies that will grow with your business over the next few years and allow you to save money year after year after year and not have to have this last minute panic every year. Oh no, what can I do to save some taxes? Because once tax time comes, it's too late. You really can't do much of anything for the previous year.
0: Yeah, the numbers are the numbers at that point. Yeah, yes. That makes perfect sense. Okay, what are other common pitfalls that all my newer entrepreneurs need to be aware of?
1: Lack of record keeping is a huge one. And I see it all the time on newer type businesses. They don't realize that they really should hook up with an accountant or at the minimum a good strong bookkeeper early on. They think they can do it themselves. And sometimes they really can at the beginning, but then they get busy and they start getting behind. And then once they get behind, it's kind of like that proverbial snowball coming down the mountain at them and they just give up. And then sometimes they don't file for a couple of years. And now that problem has just really mushroomed into something huge and can affect them and their ability to do business. Just because the mountain of taxes that's sitting on their shoulders.
0: Because they let it snowball, snowball, snowball out of control instead of getting a bookkeeper or some professional help right away. Right away. Yes, I think right away. That was one of the best things, two best things I've ever done because taxes used to be my fear is one, I got a really good bookkeeper that literally just handles it every single month. And number two, um, I started actually doing the active tax planning like you're talking about throughout Mm -hmm. the year as opposed to waiting till the end of the year and handing everything over.
1: Right, yeah. At December, it's a little hard to start scrambling. What can we do? You have clients that come in my office around December twentieth. Go, can I go shopping? It's like, (laughs) well, it's a little bit more than just can you go shopping and spend some money. You know, let's let's plan this out a little bit better and let's take advantage of of various deductions and write-offs in the tax code.
0: I love it. All right, any other pitfalls that my newbies should be aware of?
1: Keeping mileage logs. Most new people don't realize the importance of that. And until you've been slapped hard in an audit, uh, they don't always take me seriously. So whether your business owns your vehicle and you're writing off the expenses through the business or you're taking standard mileage allowance, <clears throat> you need a mileage log. It needs to be a written one. There's lots of apps out there. One of my favorites is Mile IQ, And keep up with it every single day. And then all you have to do is print it off and hand it off, or, or email it over to your tax preparer, and it's ready to be used in the tax return. Mm,
0: that's genius. Okay, Mile IQ, uh, I love that. Any good apps you have to recommend like that? I know that those will be really popular among the listeners. Let's speaking of apps and keeping good records. Let's talk about receipts, and this conversation will go two directions. So the first question about receipts is this: um, Let's say we you know, go out to dinner with somebody and it does qualify to be a dinner that's written off. Um, Are you really supposed to keep that receipt that seems to disappear over time? Like, you know, the ink literally disappears and write on top of it who was there and all that stuff. Or is having one business credit card that you put all those meals on and making note of them in um, an Excel spreadsheet or in QuickBooks or something sufficient?
1: Well, one of my clients learned that lesson the hard way He thought, I don't need to keep all those receipts. I have my statement. That's good enough. And unbeknownst to me, he threw them all away. Well, we hit an audit a few years ago. And in that audit, the auditor threw out every expense that he could not find a receipt for. So he was reaching out to vendors. He was reaching out to anybody and everybody he could to try to recreate receipts for what was on the statement. Cause the IRS takes the standhold that the receipt shows that you incurred the expense. The statement shows you paid it. Uh, and so they really want receipts. Now there is a loophole where you can get away with things for under $75 without receipts, but you do have to have it noted in a calendar, in a journal in something that you can show as physical evidence.
0: Wow. Really good yes. to know. So what's the best, easiest way to keep track of those receipts? Cause once again, let's be honest. they, They almost like the ink disappears over time.
1: They do. There's several different apps that you can basically snap a picture of the receipt and it will file it in a little filing box for you and then it can be emailed on in and your bookkeeper can pull it on into QuickBooks or something along those lines.
0: Okay. And another common question is what meals can be written off? And I think that changed like meals, entertainment, that type of deduction. That changed a lot with these new tax laws, didn't they?
1: It did. Yes. We First of all, there's still some ambiguity in the new law. Under the old law, every business meal that you had was a 50% tax deduction. So if you and I were to meet for lunch sometime and we talked about business and stuff, whoever paid would get a 50% deduction for that. Well, under the new law, the letter of the law says that it's not deductible. So we are hoping that Congress will fix that oversight. And that those meals will be deductible by the time we hit the end of the year so we're having our clients have a separate line on their chart of accounts that says business meals then we have a different line that says travel meals because travel meals are specifically listed under the new tax law as being deductible then we have a third category called employee meals so if you serve a a luncheon or you bring sandwiches in for your employees or those types of things where you keep them on the premises for your convenience. Those are a different type of meal under the new tax law and they are also deductible. So we're just still not sure about the business meals, but we're having our clients track them because we're, we're hoping and praying that Congress is going to fix that one and that they will be deductible by the time we hit the end of the year. But things like entertainment, Going golfing, taking somebody out on your boat, taking them on a fishing expedition, any of that kind of stuff, ball games, things that used to be deductible are no longer deductible because they're considered entertainment. Those are so huge we, losses. We, win some, we lost them.
0: Yeah, those are huge losses for a lot of businesses. Huge. Okay, yeah. so what's the the new equivalent deduction then? Or is it literally just a loss?
1: It's literally a loss. Yes.
0: Wow. Okay, so not a lot of exciting good news so far. <laughs>
1: I'm trying.
0: <laughs> I love it. Um, let's talk about the idea of philanthropy because that's something that we talk about so much on this show is giving and giving back. And I know that uh, in doing a little bit of research on you, you're actually a huge proponent of generosity and giving back. You actually work with a an outfit called the Twin Lakes Friends Camp. Is that right? You bet, yes. Okay. So.
1: And also um, Open Arms Pregnancy Crisis Center.
0: Oh, I love so- it. I love it. So um, in regards to taxes, um, what should we know about writing off donations, acts of philanthropy, et cetera?
1: Well, we did score a little bit on that side under the new tax law. Under the old law, we were limited to 50% of our income that we could give away in the name of philanthropy. Philanthropy. I didn't say that right. Uh Under the new tax law, that number increased to 60%. So we had a little bit of a win there. Uh, But through a business, um, for those of us who do a lot of write-offs and stuff through our business, you will actually get a better tax deduction if it is somehow geared towards advertisement instead of a a charitable contribution or a donation of some sort. And if you're a sole proprietor, it will save self-employment tax even. So sometimes when you're looking at those types of things, um, I'll give an example, we have a a Christian radio station in our area. And I advertise on the station instead of just contribute to them so that I can take it as advertising because it gives me a better deduction, especially in light of these new doubled, double standard deduction. Now I may or may not be itemizing this coming year.
0: Yeah. So that makes sense. If okay. we
1: can, yeah. If we can angle it towards advertising. Great. If not, you know, charitable contributions, are still a great way to go, whether you can write them off or not. Because if we don't give back to our communities and to those around us, um, we just really don't thrive as businesses. At least that's in my opinion, that it's so important to give back.
0: I couldn't agree more, and and I'm so glad that you said that. Why do you think that is? Why do you think a business and a human that gives back more does better?
1: I think because we don't hold on to it quite so tightly. We know it's ours to share not to just squeeze every last drop. I like you think of you know Mr. Scrooge or whatever type of thing. But once you start giving back, whether it's your time, your knowledge, your money, your you know whatever it might be, you open yourself up to receive blessings and stuff from other people.
0: Mm, I love that. I totally agree and I absolutely love that. Do you have a favorite moment of giving? I ask every guest this.
1: I think I really enjoy being on these boards of these various nonprofits because I get to contribute financial knowledge to them that they may or may not be able to afford otherwise. Yes. And so it's been pretty cool to be able to be on their boards and help them make better decisions, get their numbers kind of under control, working better for them. That type of thing has been very rewarding.
0: I absolutely love that. That is fantastic. So, obviously people are going to want, you know, they all have their own tax questions and their own tax fears and all that stuff. You've put together a business master, I'm sorry, a tax mastermind. Is that right? And by the way, you got to know I'm a huge proponent of masterminds. I run one myself.
1: Right. Well, I have a couple mastermind groups I run, but I do a lot of more one-on-one coaching in the tax world. Um, because people get a little sensitive when you're talking about their, their numbers and their, their financials and stuff. Uh huh. So, But yeah, I do have the uh, a mastermind group. I have two of them, I think, that we're running right now.
0: Why do you like masterminds so much? Why do they appeal to you?
1: Oh, they appeal to me because magical things happen there. You get a group of people in the same room or over Zoom or something like that, and you toss out a question or a concern or, or whatever it might be, a challenge, and you let all those minds start going to work, and you get – People from different walks of life, different thought patterns, different personality styles, different life experiences, all giving you ideas and information on how to solve whatever the challenges that you're working on. And then you are able to give to them in the same way with whatever challenge that they're working their way through. And it is magical. Most of the time when we run our meetings, people don't want to leave. It's like, can't we keep going? I know our time's up, but can't we keep going? Because it's just magical.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you. I, 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 just Seriously, the magic that happens when you get a whole bunch of like-minded, ambitious individuals in a room that have different skill sets, working towards one common goal of lifting each, up each other's business, it's the kind of thing you can't duplicate on your own no matter how hard no. you try.
1: Not at all. No.
0: Nope. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. All right. Well, why should, be, why should people be unapologetic about their pursuit of doing well? And uh, why should people be so hypersensitive towards paying as little as legally possible in taxes so that they have extra money left over?
1: Well, they should be unapologetic because if you're working hard and you're giving what we call out of this world customer service to your customers and your clients, then you should be proud of your accomplishments. And as long as you're working with a tax coach or a tax advisor who is helping you set up you know set up a proactive plan then you can just go out there and the sky's the limit on what you can earn and what your profits and stuff can be because you know you've got a plan in place that you're not going to be paying more than what you what you legally have to pay mm. so yeah don't apologize Go for I
0: it. I love that. that that that'll encourage a lot of people to just get out there roll up their sleeves where can people find you where should they follow you where can they get your your books?
1: My books are at www.taxcoachforyou.com and we use the number four. So, taxcoach um, four and the number four and then you.com. Sorry about that.
0: Don't be. We'll make sure we put that link in the show notes. Where else can they find you?
1: They can find me all over the internet. We have blog posts, there's recordings of previous podcast interviews out there. I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. And I believe my VA has me on Instagram now.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. All right. And then who should reach out to you? Do you have a perfect type of client or, or you know, is there a typical demographic that should be reaching out right now?
1: You bet. Anybody who is paying taxes and it hurts.
0: Yeah, that's everybody. <laughs> that's everybody. <laughs> I love it. Diane, thank you so much for your expertise. This is a subject that I know most people are uncomfortable with and the problem is that discomfort freezes them in their steps and they don't do they don't take any action and then it just gets worse and worse and worse like they're stuffing the monster back in the closet right. and it's professionals like yourself that help free us up from that fear you know so the the sheer fact that you're willing to come on podcasts i know you you do a lot of podcasts um, and share your expertise with no strings attached you know maybe someone reaches out to you awesome but with no strings that is such a beautiful form of giving and generosity. And I wanna commend you and thank you for that.
1: Oh, you're welcome. I, I enjoy doing it. I'm a firm believer in, in the education model. If uh, we can you know, just drop a nugget into somebody's life, I can potentially change a life by just I... a podcast interview.
0: Ooh, I love that. I love that. I subscribe to that as well, and I can't thank you enough. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous,